Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Jason, welcome back to the Duocast, my friend. As usual, I'm ecstatic to be here, Brian. I'm ecstatic that you're ecstatic. Yes, that's good. Yeah. Equally equally ecstatic. Well, let's get to it, man. All right, let's do it. What are we going to talk about? Well, uh, I think we're going to talk about Andrea Such. Oh, yeah. The recap, of course. We always recap last week's episode. We heard from guest Andrea Such, who is a, an actress mm-hmm. and also a therapist. That's right. And social worker. Right. And uh, we heard how she combines those disciplines and those professions in not necessarily combining them like a cocktail, mm-hmm. but how she juggles those different jobs and how they're similar in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, in her therapy practice, she does psychodrama, which is, uh, and I talk about this on the episode, what psychodrama is, and it's it's pretty intense. So I won't go into the details here because I talk about it in the episode, but she's involved in that movement in the psychodrama, psychotherapy movement, and has also an acting career that is pretty compelling. She was a series regular on season one of this show called Claws with Dean Norris. That's right. And it's a fun television series. It's kind of a, a crime drama, and it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's, um, it was neat to see her. She's a Russian mob boss in that movie. That's right. Huh? And she, she did a great job with that role. And we talk about that a little bit. But what was remarkable about our conversation is it started very organically just with where we're both at in the world. Uh, she's on the East Coast in New Jersey and acting and, and working out of New York, but has a home in New Jersey. And is, is holed up under the shelter in place orders and like we all are, you know, we're all dealing with this pandemic situation. Right. So our conversation really drifted into areas that I didn't expect it to go, you know, almost philosophically. And uh, it was kind of fun to just let it happen that way and not like stick to this uh, biographical arc that, you know, sometimes in interviews just automatically go there. Like, where were you born? And, you know, how did you get into acting or how did you get into your creative field? And I I didn't really stick to that outline at all. And I I let it kind of go where it was going to go. And and I think the the result is um, a pretty compelling connection that we made over Zoom. Well, what I liked about it is in doing that organically, you get to find out how Andrea, you know, what makes her tick. Yeah. And and all of her different elements of things that she talks about where she makes up lists. She said she has three lists every morning. She has a to-do a to did and a tada right list right and, the gratitude uh, list at the end yeah and so she she almost is she has like this life coach sensibility about her mm-hmm. and so you get a lot of these pieces of advice about how to how to go about your day and how to be creative and how to find fulfillment and and happiness and so that was neat to see the conversation go in that direction i was not expecting that it was great so uh i was on twitter this week and I ran across this tweet that I sent you. It's a tweet of a YouTube video from Tim Williams and Fred Williams, who are 22-year-old twins. Oh, the Phil Collins video. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. This yeah. Is, uh, it was just a fun diversion from the news cycle to see this YouTube video. I don't know if listeners have heard it, but if you haven't, I'll put it in my show notes for this duo cast. The Williams twins have a YouTube channel 
It's called Twins, The New Trend. And the whole concept is that they listen to songs for the first time. And it's their reaction to these songs that you get to see and hear as they're filming themselves. Right. Yep. And so the song that went viral this week was the Phil Collins song, In the Air Tonight. Yeah. Their reaction was great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's, what's your connection to In the Air Tonight? What does it mean to you? It reminds me of being in junior high school. I remember the first time I heard that song too. And quite cool the way they built that song up and then... Just like as you saw in the in the Twitter video when the drum part kicks in, like three minutes into the song, it's like, what? <laughs> that's what I, I had almost the same reaction they did when I first heard the song. I'm like, that's a pretty powerful song. Yeah, it, it was. A, I think it was one of those iconic songs of the, uh, the 1980s. You know, when I think about In the Air Tonight, I think of two things, Tubbs and Crockett from Miami Vice. Sure. Yeah, they used that in that. I think they used that song in that show. They did, yes. And that show really captured, for me anyway, a coolness. Like this, these two kind of rogue cops. I don't mm -hmm. know if they're rogue or not, but they were certainly chic and fashionable and cool. And they had this boat, this big boat that they're driving down in Miami and they're living kind of this really off the beaten path lifestyle for, kind of bachelor. for law enforcement. Yeah. yeah just <laughs> but but uh, but I remember the darkness too of that show, that series. Oh yeah. It, it and I think in the air tonight captures a darkness that really lasted in an iconic way for for decades and it's instantly recognizable to people like you and me from that generation. Mm -hmm. And the first time I ever heard the song, and I have a very vivid memory of this, I was in the basement of my friend Mike Cineground. Mike was a neighbor who lived in Spokane, but would come to Yakima to visit his stepdad. His stepdad was neighbors with me. So I was in his basement. He's a couple years older than me. So I, I think it's important when you're younger to have older guides kind of guide you into cool music. Oh, yeah. You know for what sure. I mean? Yeah. And, and so he was one of those people for me. And uh, so a little older than me and a little, a little more savvy in terms of uh, what was out there musically. And he had this album, the actual album, the, the, um, the LP. And uh, it's Phil Collins' album, and he, and he plays that song. And you're waiting, and you're waiting, and it's got this, this vibe to it. This really kind of e almost eerie build Yeah, up. eerie yeah. And, and, and layered. And, you know, there's a lot of keyboard in there. And there's a lot of um, processing of the vocals. But a, lot of, a lot of delay. Yeah. yeah. I love it. And then all of a sudden, you know, do, 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 do. Yeah. And, and to this day, every time I hear that song, my hands go up and play the eardrum. And me too. Yeah. Even, the, even if I'm driving down the road, man. That's the, <laughs> that's the funny part. Is right. It's like, all right, I don't care where I'm at. I'm doing it. Let Jesus take the wheel. I've got to do this. <laughs> I've got to do the eardrums. You have to. And uh, so to see these twins, 22-year-old twins, listening to this song for the first time and their reaction to it. One of Tim's comments in the video was right after the drum solo, he stops the, the music and he's right. like, that was cold that he did that. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, Phil, you got me on that. <laughs> That's right. Fred was like, I ain't seen nobody drop a beat three minutes into a song. He killed it. <laughs> so to that type of joy of hearing something for the first time that is sort of mind blowing yeah. was something that I think just captured the attention and imagination of the nation. And that's how something goes viral. 
That's true. Yeah. I think it's like you are like when you see somebody seeing something for the first time and they're experiencing what you experienced maybe 30 years ago, uh-huh. or 40 years ago, you, you are connected to them. Absolutely. In that moment. And I think the nation got connected to the Williams twins in that moment. Yeah, I believe they did. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. But, you know, one thing I, I do need to do is do a deep dive into their collection, their YouTube channel, because I know they've reviewed a lot of cool songs. Um, Jolene from Dolly Parton. Oh, great song. Some Aerosmith songs, some Steely Dan. Nice. So I'm going to take a look at that. Yeah, send them, send, I'll, I'll do the same. Hey, why don't you get them on the podcast? Me? Yeah. How am I going to get them on the podcast? <laughs> give them a call. I'll give them a call. Or an email or reach out to them on social. Sure. Yeah. You know, another thing I have been paying attention to or watching lately is um, a documentary called The Last Dance on Netflix. Have you seen it? The Michael Jordan one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I watched it. Odessa and I watched it. But I was not expecting to be so enthralled with a basketball story because I'm short. Um, <laughs> I, I don't play basketball. And when I do, it's I'm done in like two minutes. I just don't have the endurance for it. Yeah. And I'm terrible at it. Same. But I do have some memories from the 1980s and 90s when the Chicago Bulls were sort of becoming the iconic team that they are and have been historically. Mm-hmm. And of course, I had um, Air Jordans. I never did. You never had Air Jordans? No. Oh, man. My parents made me buy my own stuff by then, I think, and I couldn't afford Air Jordans. Yeah, my mom was still buying my shoes. Um, so, yeah, Lucky. she bought me some Jordans. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to, to actually watch a pretty intense deep dive into the Chicago Bulls and to see interviews at the time mm-hmm. and also today of all of the players, the coaches, the managers of this badass team that did not really find its groove until Jordan got there That's right. in 84. Mm-hmm. It was, was really fun to watch. And I'm still in it. I haven't seen the whole thing. Okay. But um, I'm just impressed with what documentaries can do these days uh-huh. and, and how they have changed. I mean, like, I, I think the first time I really was impressed with a documentary, like a long-form documentary, like multiple episodes, was the, the Ken Burns Vietnam documentary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Documentaries to me, like the first word that comes to my mind, if you would ask me maybe 10 years ago about documentaries, it would be boring. Mm-hmm. Boring, you know, show me Mission Impossible, show me some action, you know, show me a comedy, something about Mary or 40 year old virgin or whatever. It's, I, I'm, I'm looking to be entertained. But now, now that I'm in my late 40s and going on 50, I'm really finding that um, documentaries do something for me that other forms of, of cinema do not. I'm the same way. I find that as I'm getting older as well, that's like my go-to now is documentaries. Yeah. 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 Maybe we're just getting old and boring. We're starting to reflect on our history yeah. and our past. And eh, it's, maybe and it's, that's it. I think that's what it is. And especially like with the Joan Jett one, it, it's got to be something I'm interested in. But Odessa's such a big basketball fan that she started watching it and I got pulled into it because I remember that era of the Chicago Bulls that I would think they're probably the most legendary team in the NBA, period. Mm-hmm. And bringing up people like Jordan and uh, Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman, those are just those three names in the NBA are just probably the, some of the most historical players. Period. Yeah, I appreciate the fact that they take someone like Dennis Rodman, who is almost at this point kind of a caricature of himself. Yeah, 
And so you, you have this surface understanding of who this guy is, or maybe no understanding of who Dennis Rodman is. But when you go back and watch him, you know, real time interviews from the 1980s where he's in the locker room or he's in Vegas and he's getting in trouble and he's talking about like what the relationship was like with Jordan mm-hmm. and Pippen and how when Pippen came back after being on the injured list, how the relationship changed and how he was no longer as needed by Jordan and therefore lost interest in the game. Yeah. It's those types of like relationship nuances that really make these documentaries impressive because you, you get this very detailed understanding of the relationships between the coaches and the players and the fans and the management and, yeah. and all of that. And I just find that fascinating. It's totally fascinating. Another thing I really admire about Michael Jordan, I don't know how far you're into the documentary, but there's, there was a point in his career where he got bored with basketball and went into the minor leagues. I have baseball. not gotten there yet. Don't spoil it for me, man. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, I knew that happened. Oh, yeah. Way. Well, <laughs> you know, it's in the past. You, you can look it up. Yeah, no, I've already. Yeah, I've, I, I knew that just from watching the news back in the day. But, uh, but yeah, I haven't gotten there in the I, series. A yet. lot of people think he could have been, he could have been good enough. And if he would have stayed in baseball, he could have got into the majors. He had some pretty good averages, but the baseball strike happened, so he went back to basketball. Yeah. So. Yeah, he's he's a pretty special guy. I mean, just, just to make that decision, you know what? I'm going to quit my career, and I'm just going to go start a new one in baseball. <laughs> I can do that. I'm Michael Jordan. Right. You know? And then, oh, they're going on strike. I'm going to go back and be back in basketball now. Yeah. must be nice <laughs> to have those options. I admire that. I think it's great. Yeah. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll go to Major League Baseball if this podcast thing doesn't work out. I think you should. You know, being short, you're not going to make it in basketball. But <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, what do we have coming up next? Probably one of the coolest interviews so far, in my opinion, uh, the legendary BJ Thomas. Oh, man, that was fun. Yeah. I did not know what to expect with an older performer like that. You know, someone in his 70s who has been knocking out hits since literally since the 1960s. Yeah. Yep. Playing with, you know, James Brown and, uh, you know, all these legendary bands and still relevant to this day because his music is still being played on the radio. And yeah, I mean, BJ Thomas, Hey, once you play another, somebody done somebody wrong song is one of my personal favorites. Me but too. Yeah. I don't think it's really one of the top songs that people would recognize instantly. Well, I think raindrops keep falling on my head. It's probably the, yeah. Yeah. That's the one that just everybody knows instantly recognizes raindrops keep falling on my head. And also, Hooked on a Feeling. Oh, yeah. His version of that. His version of Hooked on a Feeling. That's right. But yeah, as I was preparing for that interview, I really gained a whole new respect for B.J. Thomas because you realize that being a singer, performer, who's not necessarily a songwriter, is quite a journey. And it's also quite a hustle. Oh, yeah. And to deal also with the, the drug and alcohol addiction issues that he faced in the 1970s and how he came through that and stayed relevant throughout the 1980s and 90s and 2000s. And I even found a video, a YouTube video of him performing with Kebmo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was right. like, man, this guy is still doing it. He's still doing the thing. I mean, he's, he's trying to be safe and not go out on the road because, well, he can't go on the road now, but you know, he's, he's very careful about staying healthy and, and not catching the virus. So but he's hoping to carry out all of these tour dates. He, before the pandemic hit, he had the entire 2020 booked mm. for, for concert dates. 
Wow. And he's playing like theaters. He's not just playing clubs. You know, he's actually selling out theaters. Since the pandemic hit, all of his shows got canceled, but they got rebooked in 2021. If you look at his schedule, I mean, this guy is is just killing it. Yeah, I hope I hope he gets to to do that. I hope that next year is a go year for touring. You know, those guys got to get back to making some money. Yeah, and it, one thing that was was kind of fun about B.J. Thomas, and maybe we'll talk more about this in the recap afterwards, but I really liked how humble he was. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could see it in his eyes, too, when we talked about addiction issues and also the addiction issues that our dads faced. Like, mm-hmm. his dad had a problem with alcohol. My dad had a problem with alcohol. And the way he talked about it during the interview was just really touching. You know, he, he looked at me as much as you can look at somebody in the eye through a Zoom screen. Right. And uh, he said, you know, it sounds like you know what I'm talking about. You've been through what I've been through. Because he was talking about his dad. and. Mm-hmm. And it was just neat to connect with someone like that on that level. Seemed like he was a little emotional during that time. Yeah, it was. It, yeah. it, it, you, you definitely could see it on the YouTube video that will be posted when the episode launches. You can see that this guy isn't afraid to be vulnerable and to, to actually feel emotions and show those emotions um, during an interview with someone he doesn't know. And it's just being real. Yeah. And that's, I think that's what makes performers successful. And, you know, they're vulnerable almost you know, right out of the gate when they get on the stage, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just a vulnerability that is um, going to be there anytime you perform because it's just you and the audience. Right. You got a microphone and you either got to deliver or not. Right. And you're going to get instant feedback as to whether you're you're doing the thing right. Right. So, you know, he's used to being vulnerable and, and that I think that vulnerability is what makes him more likely to connect with audiences. I think you're right. Yeah. Well, Jason, it's been a lot of fun. Let's talk again after we launch the uh, BJ Thomas episode. Let's do it. All right, brother. Hey, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle at DreamPathPod. And as always, go find your dream path. 